This is your exclusive home for Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. This is 98.7 ESPN, WEPN-FM, New York. From the ESPN studios at Pier 17 in the Seaport District of New York City, this is Greeny with Mike Greenberg on ESPN Radio. You can also listen and watch the show on the ESPN app. Two on this busy Wednesday in NYC. Dan Gross is sitting in for Greeny right here on 98.7 ESPN. Taking it for another hour, then Barton Hahn will take over the reins. And we are brought to you by AutoZone. What makes AutoZone America's number one battery destination? Well, because they offer free battery testing and charging and reliable replacement batteries starting at just $79.99. And they've always got your battery solution. So get in the zone auto zone uh you get me on twitter at dan grassa g-r-a-c-a two o'clock this afternoon out in florham park jets unveiling aaron Rodgers. the press conference you can hear it right here on 98.7 espn certainly a lot of buzz a lot of anticipation and boy normally it's the draft that gets all the attention and all the headlines when you get to this week. And we'll do plenty of that, certainly, over the next couple of days for both the Jets and the Giants' side of things. But number eight, and yeah, it's going to get weird to say, and we're going to have to get used to saying number eight, because that is going to be his uh, new digits, because, of course, number 12 belongs to Broadway Joe, and it's long since retired. So now there's a chance for uh, the eight version of Aaron Rodgers to carve out a little important legacy as far as that is concerned. We'll get into some Nick stuff here in just a little bit as well. They got a big one tonight in Cleveland trying to dispose of the Cleveland Cavaliers and move on to round number two of the NBA playoffs. Let's say hi to Ahmad in Queens who is up next here on 98.7. Ahmad, how you doing? Hey, good morning. It's Ahmed. Ahmed um, I just got two things to say. Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> Jet fans, please stop thinking so negative. Any scenario, anybody could get hurt no matter what. Let's take what we got and run with it. We got one of the best cold weather quarterbacks that New York will ever have. Okay? I could envision this guy taking us to the playoffs and that Buffalo win. He has no problems. That's that's one of my biggest points about that. Quarterbacks could get us to the playoffs, but who's going to go in that Buffalo wind and win? That's one. Number two, he doesn't have to come into a new offense. He already knows the offense that Hackett has. So it's not going to be a learning thing. It's going to be repetition. And all he's going to do is just be a mentor to these other players. And by the way, I don't go to Staten Island, okay? I go to Jersey and I pass through Staten just for Vinny. <laughs> Ahmed, good phone call. And, you know, a couple of things here. Number one, and that's another big difference between, you know, when we talked about the comparison when Favre came here back in 2008 versus Rodgers. Now, Favre had to learn a whole new offense. Whole new offense in the month of August, which also set him back a little bit. And then Rodgers, yeah, he's changing scenery after all these years, but it's the same exact system that he's run basically his entire life out there with the Green Bay Packers. That's number one. Number two, when he was talking about the cold weather in Buffalo, remember the cold weather thing? That was a big topic when Derek Carr was in the conversation as to whether or not the Jets should pursue him. Like, really and truthfully, how cold does it get? You know, and when are the Jets even going to have to go to Buffalo? What if the schedule makers decide Jets are going to Buffalo in, you know, September or October? And then it's not frigid when they have to go play up there. You you, You just, you never know. Right? Last year, I mean, the Jets didn't even... We talked about it with Derek Carr. Jets didn't even play that many games. I don't even think they played one game where the temperature was below uh, 32 degrees or whatever it was. 
I mean, look outside, guys. It's, you know, not, it doesn't get as cold around here as it used to. Thankfully, I hate the cold weather. Hate it. Let's say hi to Kevin. He's in Monroe. He's up next here on 98.7. What's up, Kev? How are you? Hey, the, you guys are crushing it this morning. Uh, Ahmed is totally right. I got another point. Kev, let me put you on hold. Can we put him on hold, uh, Anthony? Just to, yeah, because his line was crapping out there. Got a little robotic. We want to fix that, though, because Kevin, you know, wanted to make his point. James in Staten Island, he's up next. James, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Dan. How you doing? James, I'm um, good. What's so up? I'm a, I'm a big Jeff fan, obviously excited about Aaron Rodgers, but when I look at that trade, I just question the, the 2024 pick because who who is really bidding against the Jets for this guy? Like, the, the 49ers, their first pick this year is number 99 overall. Like, where was, where was Green Bay going? Like, he wasn't going to Tennessee. Those are the only two teams that got thrown out. So I don't understand what the sense of urgency was to make that trade so early in the week. Why not wait a little bit closer to Thursday or even Friday morning? And then on top of that, why is the contingencies on playing time? Why shouldn't it have been something like, you know, a third-round pick next year if they get to the championship game a second and if they get to the Super Bowl a first? Like, that, to me, would have made more sense. Well, I mean, playing time because you think that, obviously, if he plays, the team is going to be successful. That's number one. Yeah, I, nah, I get that. Right? And, and number two, else, with the trade, trade for him? but James, the, here's the thing, though. Maybe the Jets saw fit that there's value in getting him over here as early as possible and not wanting this thing to drag out even longer. Right, and, and I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, James. Tell me right now, that first-round pick next year, which is probably going to be late in the first round, A, you don't even know if the Jets would, would have made the pick. What if Joe Douglas next year decides that, you know what, the board isn't stacking up the way they like. Maybe it's not going to be a great draft. Like, this draft stinks. Um, what if they trade out of the first round altogether and don't even use the selection? So what good would that have done anyways? No, I, look, I get that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting to draft at the end of the, you know, pick at the end of the draft. It's just, why, why give more than you have to? I guess is, is the point. And, and also, like, you let them jump in front of you two picks. So they could take a tackle that we need. And then you also gave them the better of the two picks in the second round. So I feel like they, I feel like they made out pretty good for for a guy who they didn't want. They, you, you allowed them to do all these things, James. And I, and I thank you for the phone call. In a draft, and I've said this and other people have said this, it's one of the worst drafts talent-wise that we have seen in decades. All right? I've, I, I talked to people, somebody who's been in the league for decades, he said it's the worst draft, top to bottom, since he's been in the NFL. Somebody said, you know, the, the first four picks last year that the Jets got – so that was the three first-rounders, Sauce, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, and then you throw Brees Hall. They said those four picks, those four guys would all be top 12, top 15 players in this year's draft. They'd all be off the board just because it is not a deep talent pool in this year's draft. So forget about parting ways with these picks. I mean, like, you know, what are you sacrificing? What are you holding on to? And there's a couple of reasons. But, like, you know, you do some digging and you wonder, okay, so so how did it get to this point? Why is it so bad? And what I've been able to come up with are a couple of things. Number one, if you remember the COVID year thing in college sports has been a big impact, both with football, both with basketball, right? COVID happened and they decided to give every single player – 
who was an NCAA athlete during that 2020 season, they gave him an extra year of eligibility. Whether they wanted to use it or not, they gave them that extra year. Scouts will tell you that when it comes to football players, the most fertile years in terms of development are that first and second year when they enter college. Like, that's when they're going to harness their skills the most. That's when you take players that are highly recruited, you know, that have all this God-given ability, and that's how you mold them into the players that you hope they're eventually going to become. First and second years are critical. Okay, a lot of the guys who are in this draft right now, most of them, if not all, their first or second years in college were that COVID year back in 2020. So they were deprived of all that developmental resource that normally they would be used to harnessing their skills. Remember, some of those schools didn't even, you know, out West, they barely played with the exceptions of like the BYU. I mean, the Pac-12 didn't even exist that year for the most part. So it was so inconsistent across the country as to what teams were playing, which teams were allowed to practice, and it was all like state by state, conference by conference. It was, it was crazy times. And we never want to even fathom that we can experience that again. That's number one. So a lot of these guys in the draft right now, they weren't maybe developed like other players would in the same circumstance. And number two, NIL. NIL has made it very, very intriguing for players to stay in school and lucrative. So guys who ordinarily would maybe declare for the draft and leave college because now they have a money-making venture of their own with name, image, likeness while they're playing college sports, they stay in school. They're making almost more money than they would if they sign a contract to play in the NFL, depending on what part of the country you're at. So those things combined have kind of snowballed into making the 2023 draft one of the more unimpressive collection of players in years and years and years in the NFL. So how much value is it? Like you're sitting there belly aching over, you know, swapping picks with the Packers, you know, by two spots, please. You know, losing out on a second round pick, please. If they really felt that these draft choices were all that valuable this season, I, I, I bet you that, you know what, maybe they would have dug their heels in the ground a little bit longer and not been willing to part with some of these resources. You don't know like how they stack up their draft board. You don't know what they identify in terms of need. You don't know this. You, you know, like we can all speculate, but only Joe Douglas and his staff really know what's going on behind those walls. Let me say this too. Throw a little wrinkle into what their draft plans could be. You know, obviously, like you would think that offensive tackle is probably going to be the way in which they're leaning. At 15, right? You got the quarterback. You want to be able to surround him with as much as possible, as much protection, all well and good. Can we completely rule out the possibility that maybe they take a position that maybe we haven't been talking about that's an area of need for the Jets? Right? Like last year, think about it for a second. They got they were extremely fortunate and extremely lucky that in the secondary, at least at the cornerback position, those guys were out there like every single game. Every single game. Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, Michael Carter II, like those are their three primary corners, right? They're starters. Those guys were there week in and week out, which was a far cry from the year before, where Salah's first year in, what was it, 2021, 
I mean, by the time they got to mid-November, they were signing dudes off the street to go compete in that secondary. I mean, it was like a who's who. I remember going out there each and every week and like, you know, wanting to talk to guys and and, and like, and who's this? Where do you come from? Who's this guy? Where, like, because that's how depleted they were injury-wise. And corner is a premium position in the National Football League because it's such a pass-heavy league. You need to have as many guys out there that can cover. Most teams employ nickel as their base defense strategy anyways. You can't have enough corners. Just like you can't have enough pass rushers, you can't have enough corners nowadays. So depending on how their board is laid out, could we completely 1,000% rule out maybe taking a corner? I'm just saying, add to an area of strength. I don't think it's that unrealistic, to be quite honest with you. Because if all we're hearing is about how uninspiring this draft is with the the high-end talent pool, why not just give yourself a little bit more of a safety net? A little bit later on tonight, you got the Knickerbockers. They are going to be in Cleveland. Remember those guys? Yeah, it's been a little bit. Pre-game coverage beginning at 6.30 right here on 98.7. And then you get the bounce of the ball beginning at 7. Uh, and this, look, I mean, we know what's at stake here. And if you're the Knicks, I, I think it goes without saying, you don't want to give the Cavaliers the chance to think that they could come all the way back. I'm sure you've heard the numbers, but if you haven't, teams that are up 3-1 in the best of seven in the NBA playoffs are 257-13. and 13. You don't want to become 14, right? And there's a couple of teams that are in that predicament tonight, as a matter of fact, in the Eastern Conference. One of them is the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the other is, more surprisingly, the Milwaukee Bucks. None of us thought that the Bucks would be staring at elimination after four games against the Miami Heat. I don't care how many games Giannis played or didn't play. No, None of us thought that this would be the circumstance facing Milwaukee. Now, I, I think clearly... The Bucks probably have a better shot of becoming that 14th team to erase a 3-1 deficit than the Cleveland Cavaliers do, given how these first four games have gone, and specifically the last two at Madison Square Garden. So if you're the Knicks, guess what? I know it's easier said than done. End it tonight. End it tonight. It's not going to be easy. Cavs are a desperate team. They're going to be in their building. And the Knicks are going to have to play their best game of the series. They played some good ones. Game three was outstanding. That was, you know, one-way traffic. Tonight, they're going to have to be even better because you expect the best counterpunch from the Cavaliers. I, I, I would be, I'm not stunned at a lot of things, but I would be extremely surprised if Donovan Mitchell plays as poorly as he did the other day in game number four. You're, you're not going to see that again often. You're never going to see that, at least consecutively, from a guy who... His reputation is one of the best playoff performers that we have currently in this crop of players in the NBA. From an individual statistical standpoint, this guy had been pretty damn good. And so what the Knicks were able to do to him on Sunday afternoon is nothing short of extraordinary. You give Josh Hart a hell of a lot of credit because he drew the primary assignment on him with Quentin Grimes out of the lineup, right? He'll bounce back. He's got to, because if he doesn't, then the Knicks are going to win this thing in five. And I don't know how many of us thought that that was even something that was going to be a likelihood. But what gives me confidence, and the reason why I actually think the Knicks have a pretty good shot of ending this thing tonight is the way that game four unfolded, really and truthfully. You know, when we were watching that game on Sunday, when 
Cleveland got their way back into the game in the third quarter, you kind of thought like, oh, here we go again. You know, too good to be true. There's no way the Knicks can flirt with prosperity, and there's no way that they can win both games and to give themselves a nice little cushion because the old Knicks would have wilted, and they would have lost that game. But then Brunson hits that huge three to close out the third quarter, give them a little bit of momentum going into the fourth. They gather themselves, they recovered, and they won the basketball game. And with the reserves playing a prominent role. Julius Randle wasn't out on the floor. You know, guys like Obi Toppin and Isaiah Hartenstein. Josh Hart, we're used to seeing him do his thing. You know, RJ playing the game that he played. Brunson, which is a given. That's what gives you confidence that maybe this team is growing up before our very eyes and they are going to be able to go out there and win the tough games no matter where it's being played. Coach Tom Thibodeau, how difficult is it going to be to close out the Cleveland Cavaliers? Yeah, it's a, and again, to keep the focus exactly where it needs to be. You know, we can't be worried about what happens Sunday or anything else. You just got to focus on, okay, it takes four games to win a series. You know, win the fourth game. And that's what that's our next game. So be ready. Know what we have to do. We're on the road. Play hard. Play smart. Play together. Let me give you a couple of keys that you should be looking out for in this game tonight. Okay? Three Nick victories have all had something in common. Number one, Knicks have owned the boards in all three of those games. They've out-rebounded the Cavaliers in all three victories. In the game they lost, Cleveland was plus seven on the boards. All three victories, they've held the Cavaliers be- below... from three-point land. Okay, averaging about 27%. In the game that the Cavaliers won back in game two, they shot 42% from beyond the arc. Those two right there. And I'll get, you know, the third I think would probably be the bench production. When the Knicks reserves are out there contributing and doing their thing, that's been a huge X factor so far in this series. The Knicks have proven to be the deeper team so far through four games. And you know what? They've already proven that they can go out there and win a game. I don't care if it's at home. I don't care if it's on the road. They've proven they could go out there and win a game when Julius Randle isn't even having a lot to do with it, as we saw the other day. And really, if you want to even go back to game three on Friday night, two games in Madison Square Garden, Julius Randle shot 6 of 25 from the floor. 6 of 25. He made six more shots than I did, and I was on my couch for both games. No shots. No shots. But then what? Right? It's one thing to sit here and say they can finish out the Cavaliers without Julius Randle, without their all-star, but then what? I don't think that this is something that you want to see persist because now when we're talking about the distinct possibility that maybe, just maybe, if you finish off the Cavaliers and then you look ahead to round number two, you might get the Miami Heat instead of Milwaukee... You need Julius Randle. He was your best player this year. And I still think that that gives the Knicks the best chance to be successful and go far in these Eastern Conference playoffs. Now, Tibbs is going to go out there and say that the injury was, you know, something that's maybe a little bit more worse than they're letting on at this very moment. He had three days of rest from tonight going back to Sunday's game number four. Maybe that helps him a little bit. But I understand that the whispers are starting already with Julius Randle. I get it. People love teeing off on this guy. They love it. And as bad as he was a couple of years ago in that series loss to the Atlanta Hawks, where you know what? He was crucified. And he's heard about it for the last couple of years. 
and we've talked about it constantly. He's actually been worse this series than he was a couple of years ago against the Hawks. But you know what the difference is? The Knicks are winning. Now, here and now in the moment, I don't think that maybe they're going to hold it against them as much. But whenever this Knicks ride comes to an end, whether it's in round one, round two, round three, whenever, I guarantee you in the summertime, as we get closer to next year, the referendum on Julius Randle is going to be, oh, he's a great regular season player, but he can't get it done in the playoffs when it matters the most. Averaged 18 against the Hawks a couple of years ago. He's averaging not even 15 in this series. Shooting 26% from three this series. Shot 33% against the Hawks. Rebounding numbers are down by almost five a game as opposed to a couple of years ago. So we're talking about Julius Randle struggling, and yet, and yet, now R.J. Barrett's becoming a trusted man again. Isn't that great? Isn't it funny how the basketball universe kind of just spins on its axis like this? Because these performances on this stage, that's what helps you graduate to the next level, right? In the court of public opinion, the court of the basketball fan, the Nick fan, the diehard, this guy gets it done when it matters most. But I think tonight is a real good test for somebody like R.J. Barrett. You know why? Because there's been two R.J. Barretts in this series. There's been MSG R.J. Barrett, which is a real good R.J. Barrett, versus on-the-road R.J. Barrett. And that's kind of like night and day. You're talking about a guy who averaged about 10 points a game in the first two on the road. And then he's averaging about 22-23 in the two games at MSG that they won. 57% from the floor at MSG, 24% on the road. That is a stark, stark difference. So let's see what RJ shows up tonight. Even if Julius Randle is hampered a little bit and he's not 100%, Knicks could go for the clincher. Barrett playing great the last couple of games. Carry it over on the road. Put your stamp on this series, finish off the Cavaliers, and get ready for round number two. Put your feet up and rest for whoever you're going to be facing in the next round. Huge! Game number five. Between the Devils and the Rangers. Which you're going to hear as well on 98.7 ESPN. Anthony, any thoughts on that series, by the way, as we uh, move to game number five? Rangers? Sure. Yeah, I'm not very confident. Yeah, he's not confident. Not very confident. You've watched this team enough. Oh, I've watched them, yeah, a lot. Um, they can come out in Game 5 and look very, very good. Uh, if they don't look good, they very rarely find it in-game. The passing, If the passing's not crisp, it usually doesn't take an intermission to figure it out. If the lines aren't clicking, maybe a switch of a forward or a center or a winger changes things. But, look, I also... You had to have felt very good after games one and two. So this has been a weird series. So a lot can happen. Um, I picked Rangers in seven on Don's podcast, but I said I I think the Devils would win. I just, as a Rangers fan, obligated to have to pick the Rangers. Um, We will see. I'm reminded constantly as to how confident I was after the first two games that I, you know, went on and said that this is going to be a short series. I mean, really, after you saw what you saw from the first two games, what would lead you to believe differently? Right. Really, what would I mean? They they were almost carbon copies of one another. Road victories for the Rangers. Now they're going into the friendly confines of Madison Square Garden. Why would you think that this would be a series that would maybe go no longer than four or five games after the first two? Based on the data we accumulated. The, the switch of goalie and, and uh, 
the Devils playing better defensively in general in front of Schmid. Well, that's what it and, is. And the power play of the Rangers being completely anemic in the in those two games is the difference. I mean, look, Kreider had four power play goals in two games. And and five on five, while the Rangers played better in games one and two, it was mostly the special teams that made the difference. And it wasn't in games three and four. Now, before I retort to what you just said, I just oh want my. to remind everybody that we're presented by Progressive Insurance. For a job you'll love, visit Progressive.com. Great insurance. Slash careers. Oh, it's tremendous. It's, it's the way to go, insurance-wise. Um... I know that, like, and especially if the if 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 because look, still got work to do. If the Devils win this series, history is going to show that it was the switch to Akira Schmid that kind of set them on their way. That was the turning point. But again, you and I have talked about this. The two games that the Devils have won, he has not really stood on his head or asked to stand on his head. He has made the stops that an NHL goaltender is expected to make. He has not allowed any bad goals in, so he has been solid. The difference is the guys in front of him are playing night and better, night and day better than they did the first two games at the Prudential Completely Center. Completely different. That's the difference. Devils defense in games three and four. Special Completely different. teams. When they get their opportunities to score, they're getting them. Jack, I mean, but they're going to need more guy than just Jack Hughes to score goals if you know you really want to see this thing through. And after the first couple of games, when everything was clicking for the Rangers, the the, the small yeah but was yeah, but Zabanajad really didn't do anything in the first two games. So he hasn't done anything now in the first four games. So now the fact that they've lost two games, I mean, this is one of your best players. The guy who had an unbelievable, maybe the best regular season he's ever had in his career. And Panarin being held scoreless through the first four. Those guys have to show up. Absolutely. Jack Hughes has shown up for the Devils when they've needed him to. Um, it's time for the, and Gallant called out the top six, saying they needed to be better. And we'll see. Usually when that happens, with when Gallant does that, the guys answer the bell. So we will see tomorrow. You want a hot take about Jack Hughes? Please do. Good at hockey. Wow. This is what you get when you tune on to 98.7. Only the best. Only the best. And by the way, shout out to uh, Ray Dinahan's Islander squad. Victorious last night. Staying alive. Little Bee Gees. Staying alive. Yeah. Alive. Okay. Wow. We'll I, play I mean, along. Look, look at, I mean, you are so pessimistic. I mean, you know how good a win as, as... You know what we are? We're the hockey versions of Vinny and Staten Island in here, all right? It's pretty accurate. It, re- it really and truly is. I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm talking to a Ranger fan and an Islander fan, and, and you would think that I'm sitting here talking to Columbus Blue Jackets fans, for crying out loud. Oh, look, I don't understand his negativity about the Rangers, but you know the Islanders can't score a goal for anything. Both of you... Well, wait a second. Time out. I resent that. And anybody okay. that if watches... If it goes off of Sebastian Ajo's face, they can off, score. Do you know that... Seriously... The, the Sebastian Ajo on the on the, on the Carolina Hurricanes, of course. Yeah. Do you know the degree difficulty on that goal last night? Like like Brock, that is one that should be one of the most celebrated. Not if you're Sebastian Ajo, but that should be one of the most celebrated goals, like in the history of the NHL. To have a puck go off of a an opponent's face, not even then hit the ice, and you whack it out of midair right past the netminder into the net. That's one of the great goals in like playoff history. And think of how huge it was to put them up two nothing. It is impressive. It should be the face of hockey. And I thought, look, I'll be honest with you. They were awful on Sunday. Awful. Like, so bad, like, you couldn't even finish watching the game. That, and on home ice, chance to tie up that series, I was surprised at how much they mailed that in on Sunday. And I thought that they were done. I thought they were dead as a doornail going into last night. So the fact that they won the game, now is when you should have, like, that extra pep in your step. All right, now you got something. Now you're going back to UBS for a Game 6 to tie this thing up. And then in a Game 7, all bets are off. Yeah, but what did you think of them after Game 3? 
You thought the same thing that you think after last night. And what did they put up, put forth in game four? That's fair. But maybe they learned from their missteps. All right. All you got to do is win this one. All you got to do is win game six, because in game seven, I'll take Ilya Sorokin over anti-Ranta. Sorokin was awesome last night. He won them that game. He was awesome. And that's the edge you were supposed to have going into awesome. The, the edge you were supposed to have going into that series, right? But you, you, you guys, I mean, you guys got to give me something here with the hockey. I mean, like, there's just, the, 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 the woe is me. I mean, you sound like, you know, the, the, the Jet fans that are trying to throw cold water on Aaron Rodgers. The Rangers are fine. It's 2-2. I don't know why he's fine, so negative wait about a them. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Rangers need how many wins to get to the next round? That'd be Anthony? two. How many wins do the Islanders need to get to the next round? The Islanders can't lose. Well, they can lose before they get two. They could lose if they want, but they're they, not going to have another hockey game if right. they lose. That's they can't lose before getting two. The Rangers just have to win two of the next three. I expect better from you guys. That's all. I We've let you better. down. Is what it, is what's happened here? And I apologize. I'll tell you that Brock Nelson line has been outstanding. By the way, oh. outstanding. Brock Nelson, Bill Engvall. <laughs> Does he tell jokes? <laughs> yeah, in between yeah, shifts, it's the redneck line. Hey, redneck guy goes into line. a bar. <laughs> then Sebastian Ajo's face gets in the way. All kidding aside, though, I mean that's that place is going to be rocking. Hopefully, they can answer the call and tie this thing up because you know what? There's nothing like a game seven. Nothing. Two things in life that are worth the price of the admission: a game seven, and also when you don't miss Big George Foreman, which is exclusively in movie theaters tomorrow. So get your tickets now, rated PG-13. Big George Foreman, tickets to a Game 7. That's what you spend your money on. I'm feeling really good about my Kraken pick. Um, That's what I'm feeling good about. No McCarr for Game 5. Yeah, suspensions. I don't know. As the old saying goes, you know, they're, they're the champs until they're not. That's true. It's hard to dethrone them. Hard to dethrone them. It just had to be different. I was a little surprised at how that one got out of hand last night in Edmonton. Yeah. First well. period was on steroids, but then the rest of the way it was kind of nuts. Nuts. Oilers should be able to score six goals against anybody that they want with Dreisaitl and McDavid. And now, and now, you sit there, you wait, you watch. How is Toronto going to deal with prosperity up 3-1? See, I don't know, like, if the hockey fan realizes it, or at least, you know, outside of the area. You talk about the Jets and their championship drought, 55 years. The Toronto Maple Leafs in Canada, the hockey hotbed, last time they won the Stanley Cup was a year before the Jets won the Super Bowl. So think about what they've been going through. But I guarantee you something, if the Toronto Maple Leafs traded for Aaron Rodgers, their fan base would not be as up in arms as some of the Jet fans are. I guarantee you. Would he have uh, Toronto Maple Leafs bed sheets? No, and pajamas. No, because he didn't. He, Rogers doesn't have like Jets pajamas and all that other stuff. California Seals pajamas. Yeah, California for- Golden Seals. Right, exactly. I need some Isles positivity. Give me let, let, let Dan and Bayshore. Danny, good after. Good morning. How are you? How you doing, guys? Uh, so I just I got in the car and I turned the radio on and I I was listening to you guys talking about hockey because I'm a big hockey guy and and I and I, I'm I'm not familiar who who is Islander fan in the room because he... oh we did we lose Dan Ray Ray's the big Islander fan we lost him man we came in there we handled business you know Sorokin looked like Sorokin and we're going back home baby 
at UBS Arena, we don't play around. We, we don't play games in that arena. We come in there, we beat you down. Yeah, okay, we're going to come Sunday. in there. We're going to hit, and we're except for Sunday. Yes, yeah, we're going to we, we can we can stretch we can stretch Sunday. <laughs> right, no, oh, by the way, oh, by the way, oh, by the way. Well, we came out. We actually we came out a little too physical. If you think about it, because we're taking penalties left and right. And we're That's taking, true. You know, we're taking we're taking boarding penalties. We're taking goalie interference penalties. You know, Matt Martin is hitting people left and right and taking penalties, you know, with 10 seconds left in the period, you know. So, I mean, that's, that's not a good representation of, of what we are. But we are the most physical team in the league. We are, you know, we play playoff hockey. And we can, we can literally can come in there on, on, on Friday and we can set the tone and we can come out victorious and come back for Game 7. I have no reason to believe that this team who has – you know, two years of a long playoff runs in them, basically the core of this team, that they can't go back home and win this game. There's no I, reason not to think that. that. You know what, Dan? It's not about winning two games right now. It's just about winning one. Because seven ain't going to matter if you don't take care of business in six. I, I, I think you said it perfectly. And hopefully they learn their lesson from what happened last Sunday, which was a huge, huge letdown. I think we could all agree on that. Uh, Gary and Bayshore up next here on 98.7. What's up, Gary? How are you? Hey, man. This is Garrett. Oh, what's up, Garrett? How you doing? I'm good, man. I want to talk about the Jets and the Knicks. All right, so first of all, we got to give the props to Mitchell Robinson. No one wants to talk about it enough, but when we didn't have Mitchell Robinson last playoffs, we were doing no good in the paint. We're getting no rebounds, no defense, and this year, he's just been doing his thing. Well, think about that. That was supposedly the one edge that Cleveland had in this series. Their bigs we're supposed to set the tone and, and, and take care of Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Hartenstein, whoever else the Knicks were going to throw into the situation. Knicks, those two guys have been sensational this series and for the most part have neutralized Cleveland's bigs. Yeah, you can't beat it. And you got, I can't forget about Julius Randle. not his fault. It's different when you got Jalen Brunson there now. You just got to get, get used to it. Well, I, I mean, look, you, you could say it's not his fault. And, Gary, Garrett, thanks a lot for the phone call. Unfortunately, it's a bottom-line business. you got to produce. And whether the ankle's bothering him or not, and, and look, he's not 100%. That ankle is not going to be 100% until August, probably. He's got to get off the foot, stop playing basketball, and let that thing heal. But until then, as long as the Knicks are still in these playoffs, he, he's going to have to gut through it. And find a way, whether that's incumbent upon Tibbs to manage his minutes. I thought it was interesting what happened on Sunday. I mean, not only did they take a game, which looked like it was a slippery slope and maybe heading back to Cleveland's direction, the fact that the reserves, for the most part, was that the core of that unit that was out on the floor that Thibodeau stuck with, that showed faith in, and left Randall on the bench, speaks volumes. But as I said a little bit earlier, I think it's proven now Knicks could get by the Cavaliers without Randall being Randall, but I don't know how much further they can go in these playoffs unless we start to see an all-star caliber player once again. Paul is in Denver. How about that? He's up next here on 98.7. Paul, how you doing? Paul, you with us? Hello, Paul. Hello. Hey, Paul. Hey, how you guys on? doing? Thanks for taking my call. Yep. Um, yeah, I just wanted to talk about the uh, Rodgers situation. Yeah, if you're a Jets fan and you aren't excited about this, I think you're insane. Um, first of all, with the picks, if if you're worried about that, if Joe Douglas doesn't have the top two guys that tackle on the board, I think we trade back into the 20s, get some picks back for next year. You could possibly trade back into the first round if you're that worried about it. 
And as far as what he brings to the table, between obviously the skill position players, but with the offensive line being able to just know where they're going to have to be all the time instead of worrying about Jack Wilson, coaching not having to hold somebody's hand, and this defense, they looked incredible last year. For people to think that and what he's going to add, just doing competent on offense, let alone good, they can be the top defense in the league. The pieces are in place now, Paul. Thanks for the phone call. I mean, you heard the owner say it at the end of the season. Joe Douglas in so many ways. The missing piece was the quarterback, right? That is what they had to go out there and identify. And not only did they go out and get a guy who they think fills the need, you got a guy who's arguably one of the most accomplished players in the history of the sport at that position and who's won two out of the last three Most Valuable Player Awards. By the way, Chase Young, some breaking news coming down. Chase Young of the Washington Commanders, 50-year option declined, which means he's going to be a free agent after next year. We know he's been dealing with some injuries and coming back from that over the last couple of seasons. Now, of course, Washington can go out there and just franchise him if they can't get a long-term deal. But uh, and it, it's interesting because a couple of years ago, if I would have told you that you know Washington would decline his fifth-year option, you would have thought I was nuts. But that's why things can change in a heartbeat in professional sports. Jay in Brooklyn, up next here on 98.7. Jay, how we doing? My man, Dan. What's good with you? Jay, how you feeling, man? Jay, Jay. How long has it been? How you doing, bud? I'm great, man. Things are getting getting greater. Cannot complain. Uh, getting Zion ready for Pitt. Nice. Uh, about about three weeks ago, he was out in Jersey, catching a couple of passes. Kenny Pickett, um, that Jersey connection. And, Did he bring him a pair of gloves? Yeah, uh, yeah he, he <laughs> you know, what was said on the field. I asked him, and he was like, yo, Dad, I can't tell you. But I was like, all right, man, you keeping it you keeping it bow tied up. You know what I mean? You keeping it sealed up. So, um, yeah, he couldn't give me that expression. But, Dan, I just wanted to say to you that what I'm feeling in, in regards to the Knicks is I just feel that they had that now. They had that uh, next man, step it up mentality, kind of like what – a New York team by the name of the New York Giants, and you know I'm a Cowboy fan, and right. I'm giving kudos to the Giants, um, has done. And I think that they have that opportunity right now, especially if uh, Jimmy Buckets can go down here and get these guys up out of here. I like my chances against the um, against the Heat than the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think that if the Knicks get to that point, I think they'll have that 97 Giants mentality. Like, we wasn't even supposed to be here anyway. Everybody counted us out. And, um, you know, we're going to get to where we got to get to. And uh, one more thing. Yeah. With Randall, we have to be patient with Randall. Um, I know I know. Um, Obi Toppin's dad, his name, we call him Snoop from West Wolf. I played ball with him. This is Uncle Stock. And uh, we just have to give confidence to uh, these young guys to be able to step in until this man can heal up. And um, Randall can't take it personal. He has to be a, a be a team leader and be that young man that he can be. And, uh, you know, hopefully the Knicks will be able to put themselves in great positions to play for that uh, championship. Jay, good phone call, my friend. Appreciate hearing from you as always. I think everything you said, you spot on. Now, now he- here's the thing with Randall. If this continues, and what I mean by that is if the Knicks keep winning 
and Randall is not at the center of it and isn't maybe pulling his weight necessarily, and maybe even they cut back his minutes, like what happened on Sunday afternoon, if the sulking starts to appear, if kind of that ornery type disinterested that we saw at times last year, if that's going to contradict the vibe of the team, which is winning, and the fans are going crazy, and overall things are headed in the right direction, that is where things can go south for a player. In this city, in this city especially, because he's going to stick out like a sore thumb. All the fans care about right now is the Knicks winning playoff games and moving on. Doesn't matter who contributes. It doesn't matter who the leading scorer is. Doesn't matter how many minutes this guy's playing versus this guy's playing. And I don't care how much money you're making on your contract. You're a Knicks fan. You want to beat the Cavaliers tonight and then get ready for whoever it's going to be next round, whether it's Miami or Milwaukee, and then take your shot against them. You hope that Randall's along for the ride. You hope that he's going to be able to resemble the guy that we saw all season. But if not... You hope he's a good team guy like he was on Sunday. You know, we only have one instance of this this series. But what happens tonight, for example? If the Knicks are winning, Randall maybe isn't playing, and has and is having another off night on the court, is he going to be as cheery and jovial? Is he going to dodge the media after the game? I don't get worked up over that stuff. You know, one game... They didn't bring him to the podium. He didn't have a big game. I get it. He left the locker room before the media was in there. Okay, whatever. We're not going to throw him out of the league for that. But if this is something that continues, you just don't want it to get in the way of the greater good, which is this team trying to advance as far as they can in the postseason.